This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door, including my favourite, the Quarter Pounder with cheese. Mm. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Delivery. so the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get reward points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to another um, former player special on the Stacey West podcast and we have got a real special for you today. Um, We've got a, a top guest uh, he played for the Imps for more than 12 years. He joined in 1959 through to the early 70s. He played 278 league matches, scoring 36 goals, 307 appearances in all competitions, 40 goals in all competitions, a one-club player. This is a person that played against Liverpool and Leeds for Lincoln. He played against Workington and Southport. In the 67-68 season, he was leading scorer with 14 goals. He appeared against Derby in the League Cup in front of a record crowd of 23,196 fans at Sintel Bank. In 2007, he was voted the 36th greatest imp of all time. In 2020, you voted him 41st top player of a generation. And he is the only player, or he's the last player rather, to play in three different football league levels for Lincoln City. May I introduce to you the living legend that is Roger Holmes. Roger, thank you for joining us. No problem, Gary. No problem at all. Really excited to speak to you today. I mean, that was just before we get into the questions, that was quite some Lincoln City career. Well, it was. And I think one of the, if I say this initially, one of the difficulties of doing this type of programme is because it sort of highlights um, successes and, and failures, I don't want to come across as being conceited. You're going to be asking me specific questions about various situations, good and bad, I hope. So please, you know, I don't wish to come across as being a conceited individual, but I'll try and be as honest as I possibly can in with regards to answering whatever questions you may put to me. We'll go all the way back to the beginning, starting with your youth career. I understand that you were um, you, you played for Brig Grammar. Um, and how do you kind of transition from there to, to second division Lincoln City? Well, well, to be absolutely fair, I um, it, it was quite easy, really. I I came from a very small village, as you probably know. I came from Curtin Lindsay. We didn't have a football team. A lot of my friends played for several local football teams. Um, and I was just happy to kick a ball against the wall 
and, and, and whatever. And that's prob probably where I sort of honed whatever ability I've got was honed against kicking a football against a wall for hours and hours and hours. And eventually I was chosen by a local village team. I was 15 years old at the time and I played for a, for a village, Willerton Village, and they had a team called Limestone Rangers and they played in the Gainsborough and District League. I was very, very lucky because like all sort of local village teams, I think there were three families in the team. The Cooks, the Thompsons and the Pattisons and me. Basically, that was the team. And we played. And that particular year, as I say, I was 15 years old and we won absolutely everything. The record would show if you go back in the Gainesville League, we won just about, we won every single competition we were in. And it attracted a bit of attention. And obviously, there was a couple of scouts from Lincoln, Scunthorpe, Grimsby and whatever were around. And of course, I was still at school. Um, but having said that, Lincoln invited me across for a trial and the record will show that me and a friend, uh, like called Gordon Gilliland, came to Lincoln as 15, might have been 16 by then, year old. We played in sort of trial matches and Lincoln kept us basically as amateur players, signed us on as, as, as amateur players. And I think um, at that time, Bill Anderson was the manager. I was still at school. And during the holidays, I think the summer holidays, he invited me over and I actually played on Central Bank with the then professionals. We, I don't think Graver was there then, but certainly Fred Middleton, Bob Jackson, Harry Troop, all that sort of late 1950s team, they were there and I played with them as, as a 16-year-old and whatever. And Lincoln from there took me on, etc. But I was still at school. And uh, the only team I, and by then, I'd relinquished playing. I had one season with Limestone Rangers. And by then, I was an amateur player with Lincoln, still at school. And in fact, I did play, while I was still at school, I eventually left school when I was 17, I think it was. But I had already played in the first team um, for Lincoln. Uh, and I have here in front of me, I, can't, I, can sh I, I could probably show you this. This is my very first public appearance. I'd already played in a practice match as a 16-year-old at Bramall Lane. Um, on a but my very first public appearance was against Grimsby. And this, thing, this little bit of a programme in front of me is dated January 1960. Uh, and uh, we lost 2-1. Um, the team was uh, Ron Allen, Jeff Smith, Fred Middleton, Dennis Gratton, Bob Jackson, and sadly, I went to Bob's funeral sort of a couple of weeks ago. Alan Jackson, me, John McClellan, Bert Lineker and Brian Punter. And that was the first game. That was the first public game. Kick up 30th of January 1960. I'd be 17. And uh, the programme was one penny. Would you, would you believe that? <laughs> well, that's why I would. So really, <clears throat> my sort of youth football or junior football was nothing like it is now. <clears throat> there was no academies, no sort of little 12-year-olds running around in fancy kit and all, the, all that business. It was uh, very much school, played for school. One week, school had priority. I played for school and then I did play several games. Bill Anderson introduced me very slowly into the first team as a 17-year-old. And then I, when I was 17, I actually signed. Um, when I eventually left school, I signed as a part-time pro with Lincoln.
with Bill Anderson. So that's how it started. And I trained too. Obviously, you mentioned Bill Anderson. You, you know, paid, paid how much, sorry? We, we drove. Uh, I had a friend who had signed from Scunthorpe, Brian Heward, and we travelled as part-time players and came to Central Bank, trained behind what was behind what the old St Andrews stand on the gravel track there. We trained on Tuesday and Thursday nights and I did that. Worked on the, worked as a, a chemist on the steelworks in Scunthorpe and uh, was a part-time player and then obviously played several games. And eventually when I think I was 20, when I eventually came to Lincoln and, and signed full-time. Wonderful. And you mentioned um, Bill Anderson there. I mean, obviously, he's considered one of the all-time great Lincoln City managers. Um, what, what was he like to work for? Well, I was very, very, very lucky there. And anyone who can remember those days, it, to me, it was absolutely spot on. It, he, he obviously wanted to sign me, was very keen to sign me. Um, and I, had, I, I was asked by representatives from Grimsby and from Scunthorpe um, to sign. And indeed, Blackpool, as it happened, because I had a friend whose father was a scout for Blackpool. So I could have gone to Blackpool. That was quite interesting, really, because I think Emlyn Hughes and probably Alan Ball were both there at that time. So you, who, who knows what could have happened? But eventually, I signed for Lincoln, and, and Bill was very, very kind to me. And I'd have to say that he had high hopes of me, no question about that. Uh, everything that he said about me was was always very complimentary. And in fact... I'm glad to show you. I could show you this, Gary. He actually—I don't. Well, you, you can you can see that, but you'll not be able to introduce it. He actually sent me this. Can you see that to Roger by hand? And the day, yeah. the, can you see that? Can yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The day, the day that he, um, the day that unfortunately he left, and obviously, you know, received. He actually wrote to me. He actually wrote a letter to me, and it just says, "Roger, good luck." Good luck to all the players. You deserve success, Bill. So he sent me that, and I, I've kept that. And that was a testament not only to how he felt about Lincoln City, but how he felt about me anyway. So there was a man. And going on to probably a later part of this podcast, we'll highlight that I, I had quite a sort of serious accident and whatever with a broken leg. And the very first, the very first, uh, letter of sort of semi condolence, if you like. I received. I think Bill was at Nottingham Forest then, but he uh, he sent me a good little message. It was the very first message I received. So I have nothing but good to say about Bill Anderson. Uh, and obviously, he had enjoyed good times before I got there because they were quite a successful second division team. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that, that second division team that were kind of at the, just coming to the, the tail end as as you came through at the likes, we mentioned Fred Middleton as John McClelland, Andy Graver. Um, kind of what memories do you have? What was it like for a young player like yourself coming into a team that, that was fairly high profile at the time? Well, absolutely unbelievable. And uh, I think, well, the, more, the most important thing as well, I mean, they all made me very, very welcome. I mean, all of them to a T. Fred Middleton was the captain, I believe, at that particular time. He made me very, 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 very welcome. Eventually, one of the most players that I admired the most was was Bert Lineker. Um, if, if you know anything about Bert Lineker at all, he was um, he was absolutely the most enthusiastic pro I've ever come across. That 
even when he stopped playing, he, he was well known in and around Lincoln for coaching various teams and whatever. Um, and uh, they all made me very, very welcome. And in fact, I, I don't know, I was absolutely amazed. Sort of earlier this year, one of, one of the historians at, at City unearthed um, a, a video footage um, of that team, funnily enough. It was a 1961 team. We were playing Sunderland in the FA Cup. We'd beaten West Brom in the FA Cup. I played in that particular game. Graver scored. And um, I, there's a video. I mean, I'd never seen this before. I never even know it existed. But Kenneth Wilson home commenting on whatever. And it, it, the guy who sent it to me because, he, because John McClelland and I were featured in creating a goal. Basically, that, that was it. So I have that footage. I mean, whether there's any more video footage of me as a player out there, I have no idea. But this particular one is quite amusing. So it, it was very exciting for me. You can imagine a 17-year-old playing with these people. I mean, I played on the baseball ground at Derby against Dave Mackay, would you believe, was marking me. I mean, I know that will not mean a lot to young people, but, you know, historians of football will know that Dave Mackay was a very aggressive but but yes, so uh, it it was very exciting for me to play in that uh, in, in that team, and of course on my debut, which is well recorded, we were winning three 0 at half time. That was that was the way at Brighton. So uh, very exciting times for me as a seventeen year old. Yes, smashing, and of course that debut, I seem to recall in. Did three three as well, which must have been a uh, a little bit of a, a shock to the system in the second half. Well, it was unbelievable, really. We, as I say, we we're winning three 0 and and the record will show that you're quite right. It did finish three three, and uh, in fact, it could be arguable if um, if the technology, i.e., wristwatch technology on goal line technology, had been available, we could have got beat four three because I'm absolutely sure that late on in the game. <laughs> Toward the last five minutes, I'm sure Brian scored a fourth goal. But anyway, you're quite right. The result eventually was a three-three draw, uh, which um, again was 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 a fair result. Uh, and uh, particularly, I do remember the game reasonably well, quite honestly. And I mean, obviously, you, we talked at the, the the top end of the um, podcast there that you played in in several divisions for Lincoln, and and the early sixties were actually quite a tough time for the club. There was um, successful relegations and financial problems. I think in 64, 65, the director started picking the team as well. As a player, kind of, what were your experiences of that and how did it, how did that affect you at all? Well, it, it, it was, it, it was tough. There is no, absolutely no question about it. I mean, to having sort of been present at Lincoln um, for and having watched Lincoln and been aware of Lincoln before I joined them, because I was I was into football anyway, and I followed the local teams. I used to go to Scunthorpe nearly every week and watch Scunthorpe play before I got involved with uh, with Lincoln and whatever. And to see and to understand that we we fell out the second division, we fell out the third division, we fell through into the fourth division, and indeed it ended up applying applying for re-election as, as the records show. Um. If you're full, if you're in and around professional footballers' dressing rooms, you you will know there there isn't an awful lot of depression. I'll put it that way. It's the most fantastic environment. The banter is fantastic. 
And any and I'm 80 years old now. And any professional will tell you that they miss the battle when they've retired. I still miss the banter of the dressing room and whatever. So in those days, it was extremely tough. And uh, it was well publicised that Frank Eccleshare and his then financial director was a guy called Roy Chapman. They came in and they um, decided that they wanted to do something a little bit more uh, with the club and, and tried to change it round. By that time, I think I'm right in, in saying, they'd sort of started playing me more in a, a midfield role directly, sort of wing half as it was in those days. Um, they brought in um, a local man called Molson to, to be the manager at that particular time as well, which, I mean, that was a very unusual appointment and with the greatest respect to, to Con and whatever. It wasn't a particularly good move either, that. It didn't work particularly well. Con, I think, had been an ex-player many, many years before. He was a local physio, lived on South Park in Lincoln, and uh, he was really out of touch with the way that the game was played. And I think he expected, because we were struggling with the results, I think he expected to be able to come in and wave a magic wand and he was going to solve it all. But in fact, it didn't. It got worse. And in the end the managers decided that um, they actually gave the responsibility on the playing side to one of the players. Um, I think his name was Jackson, if I remember. If I remember, Brian Jackson, I think it was. And they gave him the responsibility of playing. And, um, and we went really from there. I remember the very first game, and I've got, I could show you something. I could show you, Gary. I know you'd be interested. Um, is that I, 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 I did this deliberately after I'd read your notes. Um, the very, very first game that the directors chose, um, we beat Barrow 1-0. And I scored a pretty spectacular goal. If you can see that. Can you see that? Um, it's great. But I, I direct you towards yeah, the other yeah. Fans back up, fans back up the director's team choice is the bit I wanted to show you. Not, I wasn't showing off with the homes bit, but it just so happened to score the goal and uh, we won 1 0. And it really went from there, and things did begin to generate a little bit better. Then, eventually, of course, they uh, they introduced and signed and, and brought Ron Gray, um, Ron Gray into the club, and that made a massive difference. Um, Ron, Ron Gray took stock of the situation. Um, he decided there were players that he didn't want. There were other players hanging around in the reserves. I think Jimmy Grummet would be one that springs to mind that, that Ron fancied, brought him into the team, changed the whole ideal of the way we were performing. And I think the records will show that, um, that we did a lot better under Ron Gray. And uh, we had that very successful run in the League Cup, as you know. Uh, and that was all really inspired by Ron Gray, who was a strange manager in many ways. He wasn't a tactician in any, by any stretch of the imagination. His team talks were all about enthusiasm. He made you feel the sort of manager that you really wanted to play for. But he had no no idea of tactics. We didn't have any, basically. We just went out there, trained hard, and he inspired the team and the results will show that we had a much better uh, we were a better team then um, so really the directors uh, 
Eccleshire and, and Roy between Roy Chapman between not the player Roy Chapman. Um, they they obviously started to improve things, and eventually, although we didn't get major success, it went from there into the 70s, and of course, subsequently Graham was appointed as well, and the whole thing began to uh, to take off then. And yeah, I mean, that's absolutely fantastic. I could listen to stuff like that all day. Um, but just going back a little bit into the into that tough to spell of the 60s, uh, Malcolm, who's a, a dedicated listener of the podcast, he writes loads of history articles for me, specifically wondered if you had any memories of the, the famous 8-1 win over Luton. I think it came out of the blue um, in, a, in a really tough season. And I think you scored the first goal as well. Just just for your benefit. Yeah. Again, just, just for your benefit. That, that was the headlines in the local paper. Eight goal bashing, etc. My 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 memories uh, are nothing but good. You, you're quite right. I did score the first goal. We were both struggling. Luton was somewhere near the bottom of the league, and we were. So I'm pretty sure that we were both sort of struggling clubs. I eventually struck up over the years a relationship with a guy who played for them called Bruce Rioch who was a very, very good player. He was a midfield player for Luton and eventually, I think he was Scottish international in the end and obviously he managed Arsenal in the end. Yeah. But um, I remember Bruce in that particular game. Um, but more importantly, I remember I remember uh, my first sort of involvement. I think it was Billy, I think a guy called Billy Cobber would come from Forest. Um, I think it was Bill's debut. I think it was his first game. And he scored three. He scored three of the goals. He, he, he scored three of the goals, and I think, again, without sounding conceited, I think I probably made all three of them. Basically, in in some way, shape, or form, um, I particularly remember one of the goals where he ran from the halfway line and, and scored. Um, and I had a good relationship with Billy throughout the whole of his uh, playing career whilst he was at Lincoln. Sad, sadly, Billy is with us no longer, but um, I do remember that game. Um, but it was completely out of the blue. I think we scored. I think we scored four. Or we scored a load in the second half, if I remember right. I can't remember exactly how the scoring went, to be fair. But I do remember scoring, and I do remember Billy's hat trick, and I do remember the game very well. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, funnily enough, Billy Cobb. I think that was the the last time a Lincoln player scored a hat trick on his debut until um, Lee Angle did it away at. Um, Braintree, I think it was in the 2016-17 season. So um, yeah, that was that was uh, that was quite interesting. I mean, obviously another another kind of um, thing that was was experienced a lot over that period was re-election. Now, obviously, a lot of modern fans probably don't understand, but re-election. But from a player's point of view, I mean, was that kind of a, a nervous time? Was that something that affected you? And 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 just kind of going off a little bit as well. How as a team did you kind of manage morale during those tough times? Well, well, as I said to you before, the, the actual manner and the not 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 a morale. I mean, I suppose we all had our own more. We all had our own thoughts, and we're not happy to be part of a demotion team, a relegation team, or indeed a re-election team. But it wasn't really prevalent in the dressing room. It's signs of depression and whatever. And you'd have to understand, I mean, I don't know how it would work now, but Lincoln City were a very highly respected um, team within the Football League. And I've got to say to you that 
uh, I know this will sound sort of rather odd, but from a playing point of view, we never, ever, ever thought um, that um, we would not be re-elected because um, we, we were reassured by people around us because we felt we were part of a respected club, which we did. I mean, there was no relegation, automatic relegation. You didn't drop out the league as obviously Lincoln have suffered that um, in, in previous years, in more recent times. Um, but I, for one thing, never felt that we were ever going to be not re-elected. Not that that made you complacent about it. It didn't. Um, the one thing which we occupied, and this is this would interest some of your, um, your sort of uh, listeners, is one of the things that was more on the players' minds. You've got to remember that there was only annual contracts. There was there was nothing. There wasn't three, four, five-year contracts. So most players were more concerned at the point of re-election. They were more concerned about their own preservation. Were they going to be retained? Were they not going to be retained? That was the more important thing that prevailed among the players' minds. And I'm sure at, at the time, at the end of the season, where we had to apply for re-election, most of the players would not be wondering, oh, I wonder if I'm going to have to play non-league. or, or it, it, never, it was never an option in my mind anyway, uh, whether anybody else felt if I never felt that Lincoln were not going to be re-elected. I was more concerned with whether or not I was going to be retained for the following year, because it was a year. At the end of each year, and this is what people will find it difficult, there was no real planning. At the end of each year, you were called into the manager's office, basically, and you were told, we want to keep you, or we don't. And it, there was no question of you saying, well, I'm off, I'm going, because it was a one-way contract. They retained your registration, and the only way you could be relinquished from a club, they had to release your... So the morale at the end of the season was was more personal, if you like, that people were more worried about whether or not they were going to be retained rather than whether the club would be re-elected. Um, okay, brilliant. Thank you very much. And just kind of going on from that, we, we talked a little bit about Ron Gray and I think my understanding was he got rid of almost everybody. You've touched upon it apart from keeping Jim Grummet and yourself. Kind of what was what was that like again to go through? Because we saw actually emerging the likes of Phil Hubbard coming yeah. through who then kind of spanned into a, a, a different era from Andy Gray. Uh, Andy Graver, sorry. Well, what, what, well, well, if you met... If you'd met Ron Gray and, and whatever, he, he came into the club, he introduced the club. I think he came from Millwall, if I remember. Um, we didn't know an awful lot about him. I didn't know an awful lot about him. He came in, big bouncy figure, uh, told us all we were fa we were all international standard. And basically, that's, that's, that's the sort of man that he was. He built everybody up. But he was a pretty shrewd sort of man. And he knew roughly what he wanted. And he signed one or two influential players. Um, he signed Ray Harford from Exeter. That was a, a, a massive plus for us. I think Clive Ford came. And you're quite right. He got rid of <coughs> quite a few of the more established players. I was lucky enough to be one of those that he, he did retain. Uh, Jimmy, Jimmy, I think Jim had been... I think Jim Grummet was in the reserves at that particular time anyway. But he would give me that sort of whatever. And within sort of a relatively short period of time, you looked around and a lot of the more senior players had gone. 
Um, some of the older players had retired naturally or normally or drifted onto non-league football. And suddenly we were a completely different team. And I showed you that photograph sort of earlier on. And I'm, I'm just looking here at, at Louis Tom, Clive Ford, John Gregson and whatever. And, and those sort of, we were suddenly a different team altogether. It just seemed to happen overnight, basically. And suddenly we were a different group of players and probably we were a younger group of players as well. So uh, he, Rob Gray transformed the ethos within the club. Suddenly we were, although we weren't winning matches, um, we were a reasonably happy bunch of players. That's, that's basically what it was like. And he did change. And that was probably the beginning of Lincoln's improved cycle. I know they, <coughs> excuse me, I know that sort of in, in later years, after the Gray, after Graham's years, but it was all of this was building up probably to the mid seventies when Graham was uh, when when Graham had his success there. Um, so obviously under Ron Gray, we've talked about the um, the the kind of improvement um, in terms of, of of team morale and the focus. And the first thing that that led to was a was a really memorable cup run in sixty seven sixty eight, where you, you beat Newcastle and culminating in the two games against Derby. Absolutely right, and uh, it 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 was uh, uh, it was a fantastic run for us, and we were very very unlucky. I mean, I know a lot of professional players will always look back and think about certain things. We were very, very unlucky in, in, in that run. We had a good run. We, uh, I think I think Mansfield, it all started at Mansfield, um, where I was lucky enough to get a couple of goals in that one. We were goals down and we won eventually. We won 3-2, if I remember. We then played, I think we played Torquay. Anyway, cut long story short, we eventually, we eventually ended up playing Newcastle, which was a memorable game. At Central Bank, I remember that game like yesterday, and um, I remember the incident clearly, which was crucial. Uh, we obviously got it, we're drawing one each. Jimmy Grummet at that time, his cousin actually played for Newcastle, um, and they were negotiating it after they were negotiating as we came towards the end of the game. Jim would tell you. He was sort of he was fixing up with his cousin what we were going to do in Newcastle when we went up there for the replay and all that business, and suddenly the guy handles the ball in the box and uh, we get a penalty, and um, one of my closest friends in the team at that time was George Peden, the fullback, and I always remember I had hold of the ball, I, I actually had, physically had the ball in my, in my hands and he came, and he snatched it off me, he said, well I, I'm not going to swear here, but I'll tell. You, he actually said, "He'll ne- give me that thing here. He'll never see this." That's exactly what he said. He <laughs> took the ball. He took the ball, put it down, and just smashed it in with his left foot, basically. And of course, we won two one. So that was it. And then we drew Derby. And this is where we were very unlucky. It was the old baseball ground, absolute quagmire. You mud. It absolutely hissed down with rain. The mud was above your boots. And we drew. We were drawing one each. Not too long to go, and we scored. I can always remember uh, we had a little winger called Louis Tom, a little Scots lad, dashes down the wing, squares it across, and there we have Jackie Lewis running in on goal and slots it home, and, we, and basically two one. And then it was disallowed and defer offside or whatever, which was hotly disputed at the time. But anyway, it was one each, and um, we took them back to Central Bank. Um, and unfortunately, the mood was high. 
And the records again would show that the game was actually fogged off. We didn't play the game as it was scheduled to be played. And I think that was, again, I think we were unlucky there, to be fair. But it was rescheduled for the week after. And I think the mood had probably, we might have lost a league match in between or something. The mood was not quite the same as it was for the first game. And in those days, I can always remember when we used to meet in the old, there used to be a hotel somewhere near the station there. Uh, we used to meet there before the games and what have you, and have a steak or what, baked beans or whatever before the game. And I always remember being, we, we did meet on that night. Uh, it was fogged off. And we all sort of went home pretty, pretty brassed off with it. And we eventually played, we eventually played Derby at home. And again, it's well documented. You, you'll know all about it if you read about it. Um, we went down to 10 men. Um, uh, Mickey Brown had sort of <laughs> a bit of a mad moment. Um, I think he laid out Kevin Hector at the time and um, we, we, we lost eventually. But it was, you're right, it still is a record crowd and it must be very hard. Um, I've been to one or two games recently, as you probably know, and to see 8,000, 8,500 people there is brilliant. But I don't know if those people can imagine there was 23,500 people. On, on the ground that night on open terrace on the Central Bank side um, and quite an atmosphere but it was a dull nasty sort of night if you know what I mean it, was, it wasn't sort of it wasn't a clear night it was drizzly it was a miserable sort of night and as I say we were we, were, we weren't unfortunate Derby were clearly the better side on the night and they were a very very good team as you probably know and had some very very good players but um, I think we were very unlucky. And in the next round, the next round, I think they drew, I think Darlington was still going quite well. So we, we could have ended up doing even better. But anyway, those, it, it, was, it was a memorable run and something I do remember. Uh, and I did get a few goals in that run, to be fair. So, uh, yes, I remember it very well. And obviously, just for, for some of the younger listeners, I mean, they see us playing the likes of Derby County now. I mean, at the time, this was a, a big first division team. Where, I mean, I think Newcastle, Newcastle first division at the time as well. Yeah, Newcastle were a first division. Newcastle were a first division team. And again, it wouldn't mean anything to the younger players, but they had star. They had really sort of star players. They had a guy, I think it was Wynn Davis, they had up front, who was a big, strong international player. The host of international players, some really, really good players in the in their team, um, and the Derby, the Derby, the Derby County team was. Um, oh, I mean, Kevin Hector obviously was an international. Johnny O'Hare was, I think, probably they had an absolutely first class first first division team, and of course, if I remember, Cluffy was the manager. If I remember, Brian Clough was the manager, um, so they were a high profile team. Um, and the result that we got at the baseball ground that night was definitely hard fought, well deserved. We weren't hanging on or anything. We we should we we should have beaten. We actually outplayed them, in my view, on that particular night, uh, and we were very very unlucky not to come away with a win. But um, it wasn't to be. Well, you're you're absolutely right. They were first division team, and. Um, it's funny because I've got sort of it, for the sort of younger listeners, I've got um, here uh, a league, so, uh, the old league table when I actually played in the second division then. And you're right, 
Aston Villa, Liverpool, Brighton, all these Premier League teams now were then in the old second division. And I certainly didn't go. Um, I went to Anfield. Um, Bill Anderson, he took me. When they played when they played up there, it was part of his nurturing programme. I went and sat in the dugout at Anfield with, with them. I wasn't a player, but I sat in the dugout. But I did play against Liverpool at home. Um, I think Roger Hunt scored um, for Liverpool. I think we lost 2-1, if I remember. But um, I certainly played against them. So for some of the younger members, you've got to remember that a lot of these teams, um, the Liverpool that you see and you saw last night beating Rangers 7 by 7 goals, were then... Um, a mid-table second division team. Yep, and uh, funnily enough, I did the research. It was two-one at uh, at Sinsel Bank in the game right. you played, in. and I think you went to Allen Road at the end of the season, and that was a seven-goal game as well, if I'm correct. Yeah, well, you, absolutely right, and uh, that was that was a memorable experience. Again, for me, as a, as a young as a very young player, it was the only game, and I'm sure you'll know this as an historian. It was the only game that my friend Brian Burton played in goal for us on that particular day. But I do remember tackling Jack Charlton in the middle of the field. I remember Billy Bremner whispered in my ear sort of most of the game because we were more or less directly opposed to each other. Um, and they had a, a, if I remember, Johansson was one of the first English uh, black players uh, in the uh, in the football league. And he was there. He played, obviously, for Leeds. Um, and I, re- I do remember that. I remember the game. Uh, I don't remember an awful lot about the actual play, but I do remember playing against Billy and I do remember playing against Jack. I, I remember that, like, pretty, pretty clearly. And I certainly remember being involved in, with Jack Charlton in the middle of the field, definitely. So, yeah, but it was a humbling experience. I mean, I think it was the worst defeat that I experienced as a as a professional footballer. Um, I think I had we had the odd five maybe but we definitely didn't have a seven that was the only one that I can recall and uh, so we'll pick it up a bit from a 7-0 defeat we'll go back to 67-68 where um, from midfield I think you scored 17 in all competitions uh, what what was it first of all about that season that clicked and then Malcolm again believed that there was a potential for Spurs to be interested I just wondered about that as well um, and whether anyone was interested during your career what, what, what were right. the progression options like well it was quite. It was. Um, <laughs> it was quite interesting, really, because in ter- in ter- in terms of um, going back to going back to the way that I was promoted at Lincoln. Bear in mind, I was sixteen year old, seventeen year old in the team, and all the way along, I, I was always seen as being potentially something that was going to happen. And and they they saw me. Lincoln saw me as probably one day potentially. Being, uh, you know, either a source of major transfer money or whatever, and I have to say, and, and again, going back to what I said when we started this podcast, it, and I don't wish to come across being conceited, but it, it is a fact, is that within all the papers and scrapbooks and all the rest of it and newspaper cuttings that I have, at some point or other, Gary, I'd have to say, I think I was probably linked with nearly every football league club that was going of the ninety-two clubs. And I, I've got a, I've got a, a, a little headline here in, in, in my book here. Arsenal and Spurs chase Lincoln's star. 
and you never know whether and, and then there was a bit about Roger Holmes will be watched by whatever Joe Mercer from Manchester City I, I have all these cuttings whether or not the only ones I can honestly tell you that I do know were fact um, a, lot, a lot of it was paper talk I did I featured in the Charles Book and Book of Soccer whereby um, he he nominated three players who he thought would would make the grade in the football league. I was one of them. Kevin Hector was the other. That's why I speak about him. I can't remember who the third one was, but there were three of us were chosen as seventeen year olds who were playing in the football league as something that was going to you know was going to happen one day. And as I say, the Spurs the Spurs thing was there. The ones that I can tell you, which definitely, one of the side feature sides in those days was Coventry. And Coventry had Jimmy Hill as the manager and they were, Sky Blues were up and up and up and they were quite a successful team. And I do know that uh, Bill Anderson and, and Jimmy Hill had their heads together one night. And I think Jimmy, I think uh, they did make an offer for me, Coventry did. Um, at that time, it, I mean, by his standards, it was ridiculous. I think it was something like £10,000 or something of that nature in, in those days. So I know that Coventry certainly made an offer for me. Bill didn't want to sign me because he knew that it, or he always felt that if I ever was going to leave, he was going to make some money out of me anyway. The only time, and as I say, I've, I've got newspaper could link me with nearly everybody from Grimsby Town to Spurs, Arsenal and you name it. Um, the only time that I ever got near to going was to sign for Notts County. And um, Ron Gray called me in one morning. We were training on um, the St Andrews ground, as it was in those days. Calls me into his office. He says, Roger, he said, uh, I'm interested in this fullback from Notts County. Notts County would like to sign you. Um, what, what do you think? He says, well, what do you think? And uh, he says, "Well, it's an opportunity, etc." I think not. I think I think there was a division difference, if I remember. I think Notts County were probably in the, the, the. We were maybe in the fourth and third, whatever it was. Uh, not it, it. It wasn't a massive. You know, it, it didn't excite me. Um, I remember my wife at the time. My wife worked uh, in Classic Gate. She worked for uh, one of the government. And I remember going up to set. How do you fancy moving to Nottingham? And she said. Uh, <laughs> whatever basically and um and off we went and i, I met ron, ron gray to ron gray we met in the hotel on the side of the cricket ground at not not cricket ground we went round to together funny enough a, a man called gray i think i'm not sure it was billy gray anyway it was, it was a guy called gray was the manager of Notts county at that particular time I got into, we went into the ground to get, Ron and I went into the ground together. We got into the, uh, I was left with the secretary of Notts County. Ron went in to negotiate the deal, whatever. Came out, uh, came out of the meeting and said, basically, we can't come to any agreement, da 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 da, um, et cetera. They will not pay what we want, et cetera. And that was it. So that's the nearest I ever got to, to moving. So I drove back to Lincoln. And, and whatever so of all the speculation as to where i might have gone or what opportunities arose a lot of it i'm sure was paper talk but the only i, I know for a fact that not scout uh, commentary definitely offered money for me and i know that uh, 
because I could have gone to Notts County. And if any, if anybody is football historian, they did sign a midfield player, Notts County, within about a month. They signed Don Masson, who proved to be a massive success at Notts County. And, and, and a few, I think it was Scottish International eventually, but Don Masson was, uh, that's who they signed instead of me, basically. And, and obviously the, the 17 goals from midfield. I mean, I watched the Red Imps Community Trust where you said everything just went in. I mean, it, it can't have been as simple as that, surely. Well, it was it was, it, it, it was very unusual because um, I was. You got to remember by that by that by that time I'd be what I'd be, I'd be sort of 25, 20, sort of six years old. So I was probably beginning to begin to be you know, to the part of my career where I should really have been sort of putting more. Uh, having more effect on games, to be absolutely fair. I'd been the young player who scored an odd goal here and an odd goal. I remember the very first goal I, I scored was at Central Bank, at, at the Stacey West End, which was um, against Bradford Park Avenue. I can remember it. I've got a picture of the actual ball going into it now. I remember that. But I think by the time I got into my mid-20s and I was playing, I, 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 was, I wasn't a complete footballer by any means, but um, I had most of the basic skills and I was, I was an experienced player by then as well. And at some point I had been the captain of the side as well for a year when Con Molson was there. So all in all, I was a more confident individual and, and, and whatever and had some really good players, well, good players by that standard around me anyway, uh, providing the opportunities to score. And I, within those 17 or 17 odd goals I scored, I did get some pretty spectacular goals as it's happened. Headers, would you believe? It was incredible. But it, I was semi-flippant when I said that um, every time I went in the penalty area, it dropped to me. There was a little bit of that, but I think primarily I I was running into... I was, I was actually playing right half or midfield, but I was running into the box and... There were players there that were able to find me. Basically, that that's how that's how it all happened. And if you could see sort of a brief sort of flash of all the goals I scored, there was some reasonably spectacular goals, but there was also some some very very simple soft goals as as well. And so all in all, I think it was I think it was a sign of things to come. And then what you know we'll probably mention. Sort of a darker side, or you know, the sort of unfortunate side of my playing career. But I think that was the beginning of something that could have. I don't think it was going to be a one-off, and that again might sound a little bit conceited. I think had I not had the injury that I subsequently had, then I think I, I would probably continue to score, you know, ten or a dozen goals a season anyway, if I'd stayed in that position. But it, anyway, that wasn't to be. So I. I think it was the beginning of something. I don't think it was a one-off. I think it would have continued. I wouldn't have been prolific goal scorer because I was never going to be that. But I think I, from midfield, I think I'd always have been capable in my mid-twenties if, if I'd continued with my career. I think I'd always would have been capable of you know chipping in with ten or a dozen goals a year. I think I was going to be that type of player anyway. And obviously, we'll come on to the the darker side now. I mean, it's one of the stories 
I, I was told actually growing up as a Lincoln fan, my, my dad always talked about um, Roger Holmes and how we, we needed him in the midfield boy whenever we weren't doing particularly well. And, and then he said, I was there that day on Sinsel Bank when he broke his leg and you, know, you, you could hear the crack. And I mean, it, it sounded awful. That Obviously, that wasn't the start of the injury problems. So I think it was something at Bradford Park Avenue, wasn't there, the, the year before? Yeah, you're absolutely right there. And when I when I look back, and and you know when I look back on my on my sort of career, I'm absolutely delighted that as a professional footballer, I enjoyed every single minute of being a professional player, um, and the camaraderie, the colleagues, and, and everything about it, I loved it. And I think it's fair to say I was probably coming into a, the period of my life where I really ought to have enjoyed being a professional footballer more mid-20s to sort of late-20s is a period where most players would say that that's where they've got the experience and all the rest of it. And um, and I, when I look back on it, I can see as clear as day uh, where my problems really started. And we were playing at Bradford Park Avenue. The, the result, if you look back, I'm sure we won the game easily. I think we won four or five, one or I think it was. We won the game. I always remember in midfield challenging for this ball and the ball was sort of like three or four foot in the air and it bounced between me and another player. And I went I went for this ball. In, I didn't go for it with my head. I went for it with my foot. So I went for my right foot and I had my right foot with studs sort of forward. And the guy came and he kept coming and I, I actually ended up with my foot against his chest and he pushed me backwards and when I was when I came round I think it knocked me out I fell on the back of my head and I couldn't feel my knee I couldn't on my right leg I couldn't feel my leg below the knee so something had I'd fallen awkwardly or banged it or done something Bert Loxley came running on fiddled around a little bit and a little bit of feeling came back into it so I was able to stand and uh, anyway, the ball came to me. They shoved me out on the wing, as you did in those days, because there was no subs. If you were injured, you stayed on. And uh, I remember the ball coming to me, and I can remember playing it, playing the ball, and just collapsing. And that was it. So they, they, they did take me off, strapped me up. I actually went to a party that night, would you believe, on crutches with a bummy bandage wrapped around it. That, that, that's how it was. And reported into the ground. And um, they fiddled around with it and eventually swelled, to get the swelling down, Ron actually sent me, I ended up in Harley Street. I did go, I drove there. Would you believe this? I actually drove there on my, on my own, got myself down to Harley Street, met Ron's um, friend, who it was his friend, uh, a consultant there who fiddled around with it and took, he actually extracted fluid off the knee with a needle. And cut long story short, manipulated, moved it. There was no scans, no MRIs, no real assessment of what the injury was. And so when I came back, I came back and uh, obviously started to train and it didn't feel right and, and whatever. But I eventually got myself into a position where I, I could move okay. And, and honestly, Ron deemed me fit enough to play, but I, I, didn't, I wasn't a first team regular straight away. Played a few games in the reserves. I think, uh, and again, I suppose it's uh, not opportune, but probably it's 
it's right to remember to note at this time when I played in the reserves. I think I was at the time when Dave Dave Smith had just arrived as well. Given what's happened recently, which is obviously very sad, but so I did strike up a bit of a rapport with uh, with Dave. But he was in, the, I was in the reserves, and and Dave, Dave was introduced initially into the reserves, and the reserves were a very very good team, and we won something that year as well, if I remember right. It's like the North Midlands League or something, we won. Um, and uh, I, it put me back into the first team eventually. But I, I was ne I never felt really happy about it, to be honest. I wasn't really happy about the knee. I wasn't 100% fit. If you ever saw me play, you'd have seen me. I, I was quite... I, I was a slight player. I was only 10 and a half stone, um, but I was quick. And that was probably one of my biggest assets was the benefits of kicking the ball against the wall for donkeys. Years as a young boy, I, I I had two good feet and I had I was reasonably I could control the ball reasonably well and I was quick, but the speed had, you know I was a couple of yards slower, and I remember this guy, uh, the funny the guy was called Tommy Spratt, and the ball came to me. It was on the central drain. It was on the central bank side, somewhere adjacent to the 18 yard box, a little bit in in there on the whatever. And I knocked the ball past the defender, set off to go. He had all my weight on the left foot and bang. He came in and just chopped me from the left. And the referee looked at me. He says, are you going to get up? I says, I'm never getting up. I said, I have broken my leg. I knew I'd broken it. And so off I went. And, um, and, and that was sort of a set of a beginning of a rehabilitation process, which took me a long, long time to get over, really. But I think then... It sort of uh, um, it robbed me of an opportunity, that it, but it was the Bradford Park Avenue incident that really set set me on the down path. And that, when I look back and think, well, you know, I played three hundred odd games, but I think, you know, if things had gone the natural way and I hadn't have been injured, and it, last weekend I, I came to the Charlton game last weekend, met an old colleague, Brian Stainton, who is my age. Never had an injury in his life and played sort of, I don't know, four or five hundred games eventually, four hundred which he played for games for Trinity. And I was watching last night, these a game last night, the Rangers uh, Liverpool game. There was someone there who had got a doctor who was 34 or 35 years old, never had an injury. And you think, mm, if that had been me, that's the regret, that's the one major regret I have, is that I wish I could have. I wish I could have had another two or three years at full fitness, and I'm sure, I'm sure I would have either moved on from Lincoln or I would definitely have established myself a lot better than I did. So, I mean, obviously, you, I mean, you did come back from it, um, albeit for, for kind of a handful of games as well. So, going through that process, I mean, that must have looked very different to now, where it's you know, there's the there's the physios and the um, so much rehabilitation. I mean, that must have been quite a bit tougher in, in the, um, in the, with the limited facilities the club had at the time. It was very, very, very tough looking back. But the thing about it is that look, looking back, it seemed the natural thing because there, was no, there, wasn't, there wasn't the publicity that, oh, so-and-so, so-and-so's got an injury. And then you see the manager interviewed after the game where he's, he's already in the hospital having an MRI or he's having a CT scan or he's having a scan of some kind. That just was not the case. 
in my case, as I said to you, after the Bradford one, that particular evening on the coach, set of crutches, set of crutches, bit of elastic, bit of, um, you know, um, elastic tape or whatever it was wrapped around it. And I went to a party on crutches that night. I remember it very, very well. Um, back to the ground, eventually started looking at it. It was clearly swollen. There was clearly something not quite right. There was never any thought of scans, hospital or anything. And nor in my mind either, because the norm, that wasn't the norm. The norm was, oh, your knee seems to be okay. It's got a bit of swelling on it. We'll send you down to Harley Street. Let somebody have a look at it. And this, this, this will, it's very difficult to explain to you, but I, it is quite a funny story, but this is exactly how, this is exactly, bear in mind, I drove down and I was in some sort of pain. The knee was still swollen. Quite clear there was fluid on the knee. I'm in, in this darkened room with this consultant, laid on a bed, and he uh, had this needle. Took the, took the fluid out the knee, and then he, he, put, he actually jumped on the knee. He actually pressed the heel back to my thigh, and that was it. And wiggled it about a bit, and that honestly, that was the treatment. Back to the ground, and then gradually, gradually, whatever was wrong with it, I'm sure, whatever. I've still got all my cartilages, and I have still people who, um, I've still got a problem with that knee. My knee, that right knee, still is an issue. Uh, I still play golf, but I can't walk 18 holes. I have to have a buggy and whatever. But um, that knee is the issue. That was the beginning of it. The broken leg itself was just, it seemed the normal process. I was in, uh, I went to the hospital. They set it for me. They were absolutely fantastic. Uh, they did the job, the business for me. I had a bit of a secondary problem while I was in hospital. I had, um, I had a, a clot on the lung as a result of it. it. It couldn't happen, so they dealt with that. I was in St George's Hospital. They, they treated me absolutely fantastic. I got no issue at all. And eventually they released me from hospital. They were more concerned about the lung situation with regards to the embolism and whatever, but they managed to get, they got rid of all of that. Uh, thinned it all out or whatever and then it was it was a question of rehabilitation but it was a long long time I ended up going every day to uh, Lincoln County Hospital to the physio department there I don't know if they still got one but they had one in those days and I went there for maybe a year I know I didn't I wasn't back again for probably 17 or 18 months before I actually got got over the whole thing but I wasn't depressed with it all. I wasn't sorry for myself, if you know what I mean. I just, I'm a pretty philosophical sort of person. I just got on with it, basically. I knew what the issue was. And I think during that course, I'd more or less made my mind up I was not going to stay in football. I w it was the beginning for me of a young family. I knew that um, I was going to have to sort of, uh, you know, look after a family, et cetera, et cetera. And I ought to be able to... Um, start looking for uh, for something out of football. I'd made my mind if I wasn't going to stay in the game. And as it happened, uh, Andy Graver, uh, obviously I played with Andy, 
I was a friend of Andy's. He was always in and around the ground anyway. A big status figure at Lincoln, always has been the number one probably club legend of all time. And um, he worked for a local finance company and um, along with another old friend of mine who, who wasn't a professional footballer, but he was the manager of a local finance company uh, on Silver Street in Lincoln. And he said, look, Roger, he said, what are you going to do? Are you going to stay in the game? No. Do you want a job? Yes. And um, and I took it. And uh, I could have hung around. I could have hung around at Lincoln and limped a bit and played the odd game and struggled. Um, Jim Smith by then had gone to Boston and he would have, he offered the opportunity for me to go to Boston and play for him. But I decided, no, that's it. I, I didn't want to play. So I embarked on a career then uh, with a local finance company in Silver Street in Lincoln. Um, it was very easy for me because part of the part of the business was really recruit was trying to basically it was canvassing for higher purchase business on motor cars. So we canvassed all the motor dealers in and around. Andy was so well known, and it was easy for me because nearly every garage I went to to try and you know extract a bit of higher purchase business, they all knew me because of my association. They all, oh, it's Roger Helms, Dad. Oh, I thought you were bloody useless against so-and-so, so-and-so. <laughs> oh, you had a good game against so-and-so, didn't you? But I can remember when you was, well, you should have scored. But it was good for me and it was quite easy for me to do because most people knew who I was in, in, in that, whatever. And um, and that's really, it was Andy sort of saved me in a way because he off, had he not offered me that opportunity, had I not had the opportunity, I'm not quite sure what I would have done, quite frankly. But uh, that's that's what happened, and basically I left the game in sort of well I left I left the game in I think I played the last game in seventy one or seventy two I think it was by which time Graham had, Graham they'd appointed Graham Graham was appointed the manager um, I did a bit of coaching for him I, I did I stayed on and coached uh, some of the younger lads the youth team as they had then they had a youth team by then. And I did some coaching for him. And eventually, a major finance company tapped me on the shoulder one day when I was out and about and said, look, come and work for us. So I ended up working for NatWest, basically, and um, and moved away from Lincoln. So that's it. And when I came up here uh, to Scunthorpe, I had a friend who, um, was, who managed a little team called Bottisford Town. Um, we played on school football pitches. And he said, do you want to come, come and help me? And so I I helped train Buttersford. I didn't coach them. I trained them, basically. But now Buttersford Town are really sort of, they've established themselves and they play in a reasonably high standard now. Uh, and that was that was how I sort of ended up um, uh, with my association with my playing experience. But I have had the opportunity of having two sons. I've been married a couple of times. I've got an elder son who played a bit of professional football in the States. And I've got a younger son who was with Scunthorpe for, don't, for I don't know how long in their mini academy and whatever. But he was never, ever going to be a professional um, footballer. My, my eldest son was a professional in America for a bit. But my association with football is just now of an interest. So that's how it all ended. And, and obviously, we've we've seen you at matches recently involved with the uh, with the former players. 
I know an easy question would be what are the major differences between now and then, but I wondered if coming to Sinsel Bank, you recognised any kind of similarities between the times that you were playing and, and now? Well, 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 well <laughs> the answer is in, in terms of uh, the ground, Let, let's deal with the ground uh, and Lincoln City as I see it when I come um, now as, as a guest um, or whatever. The place, the place buzzes, there's no question about that. And I like the way it's set up. I came with Peter Grotier at the end of the, I think it was the end of last year or maybe the beginning of this. And Peter Grotier and I sat together. I didn't know Peter. Uh, he knew of me and I knew of him. And we marvelled at the pitch. The pitch is unbelievable. We cannot believe the pitch. In my playing days, Central Bank was always regarded in the whole of the football league as being an extremely good surface to play on. And that's how it always was. But, of course, bears no resemblance to what you see now. Um, and, in fact, uh, uh, last Saturday's game against Charlton, Dean, Dean West was um, obviously a guest. And he and I both sat there together. And I said, by God, what about this then? And he told me a couple of stories where he was a YTS guy there. And Murphy used to make him weed the pitch. And it, <laughs> And, and he's, he's still, because he Dean's still connected with the game, he's, he's a scout for Blackburn Rovers. And he gets around all of these grounds. And he was telling me, this is the standard now, around grounds in the Football League. They're all like that. So my first observation is the pitch is, without a doubt, a different pitch altogether. The actual ambience of the club itself has obviously changed. Um, and for the better, no question about that. It looks like um, first-class football ground. No doubt, no, 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 no question about it. Everything's clean, neat, tidy. The fan village side of it now that was just a, an entrance into another car park, but the fan village side of it is first-class. Uh, I just wish we could get more of the more recent. Uh, ex-players there which who can identify more with you know your your generation uh which would be better you know players who you can remember playing but they all seem to be so widespread it's not as easy as you think to get there the one thing you need what one thing that is needed on the playing side and i can deal with that um i'll come back to that but one thing they do need you just they need a run of success. That's what they need. You need, you need. Uh, it'll be slightly controversial, I know, but you need the Cowley experience back. Whatever, whatever was feeling still about the Cowley brothers, is that there's no question about it. The Graham Taylor years in the mid 70s were fantastic. Graham did a fantastic job with his brand of football, which basically was play McArthur and Percy up front and everything goes in the box. I mean, that's how Graham played. The game isn't like that anymore. Cowell is obviously were very, very successful. That's what I would like to see back again. Whoever's going to bring that to City, that's what we need to see. In, term, in terms of the football side, uh, I'd have to say to you, Larry, is that um, if you could, if, if side by side, you could play a video of one of the games, one of my matches, and now there is no comparison whatsoever between the two games. And the game, without a doubt, people will say, people of my generation will say, look, it was more physical game. And without a question, it was a more physical game. There is no question. 
and you've only got to think of the logic now, is that every single throw-in, every single goal kick was launched into the field. A goal kick was taken, it was launched into the middle of the field somewhere, so there was people always competing for the ball. There was no throwing it out to full-backs, 14 square passes and slow motions, whatever. It wasn't like that. That wasn't the way that everything... Whenever you got the ball, you looked to play it forward nearly all the time. And that wasn't that wasn't because someone told you to play it forward. That's the way football was played in those days. It was played with wingers. It was played with full-backs who defended. It was played with centre-halves who stood there all the time. They weren't the most mobile of players. The game, for whatever reason, is um, it's a completely different game. I find, and again, this is... Awful admission, I suppose, from an ex-professional footballer, is I find the game um, in the lower divisions more exciting than Premier League football. I cannot. I'm an Arsenal supporter. I've got to be honest. I supported Arsenal since I was 10 years old, and listening to them on the radio, winning an FA Cup against Newcastle in 1950 something. So I've been an Arsenal fan all my life, and I watch Premier League football. And I can't watch it. I, I just cannot sit for 90 minutes and see players playing eight balls across the back, forward and whatever. When I go and watch lower division games, particularly the championship games, the championship games are much more exciting for whatever reason because there seems to be more forward play. Um, but even when I came, when I come to the games at Lincoln, I've been this year, I've been, I think it's probably, I came three times last year. And I think I've been a couple of times this year. Is that it's it just I cannot believe that we don't we don't get the ball forward as often as, as often as we used to do. And I'm sort of semi thinking, oh Christ, you know, should we really be exchanged? I can see passes from the stand thinking, oh my God, why didn't he play that? Why didn't he do this? Why didn't he do the other? Um, so the game, there's no. I promise you, if you if you could go back and sit in the stand and watch Lincoln City play, because I played at Charlton away. You watch Lincoln City play Charlton uh, 55 years ago. There'd be no comparison with what you saw. If he was there on Saturday, there'd be no comparison between the two games. None at all. That's, that's wonderful. I echo your point on the Premier League as well. I've not watched a Premier League game in probably 10 years or more just don't uh, it, it doesn't particularly grab me so look we're overrunning already and I could talk to you all day about training and the ground and the players and everything like that so um but I'll I'll, I'll kind of wind up and just finish finally you remember the the former players association um and how important is that from from one former player and and as a community into the football club well, well, I would like to think it is important, and, and I'm not quite sure. I mean, it hasn't been established all that long, from what I can gather. I think it was only 2017 when, when probably Trevor Swinburne and one or two others seemed to be able to, uh, to introduce this former players concept. I know the University of Irene Hodson. I know they're very, very keen that uh, Lincoln should have a former players association. They're very keen that that should happen. From from a personal point point of view. For me to be able to come back and meet players of my generation or players who are ex-Lincoln players and have that bond with them, for me, is excellent. What benefit it has to the football club? I would have thought it brings some benefit. It brings some benefit. 
the players are keen to sort of um, shake hands, converse and be on stage and answer questions of people around. But I would like to think that if Fan Village is very successful, I would like to think that we could attract, as I said earlier, uh, some of the more recent players with whom you will identify having watched only five years ago, four years ago or whatever. I'm pleased that I remember. I'm delighted to come to the games. I, I can't perform in the... I can't be sort of interviewed every week. I, I'd, come to the, I'd come every week and support it. But there's no novelty in being interviewed every week because people... You don't want to see Roger Holmes on the stage every week. Um, look, Roger, it's been an absolute pleasure. Like I said, I could literally talk all day um, to you, but I just want to say on behalf, my behalf and behalf of everyone from the Stacey West, uh, thank you for taking the time to chat to me today and apologies for the technical issues. No need, no need to apologise. Enjoy talking to you and uh, make sure that you come and have a word with me the next time that, uh, that I'm visiting. I will. Thank you very much. No problem. It's the 90th minute and all your mates around watching the imps on iFollow. You've got your McNugget share boxes on the go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping, but then you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.